Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Uh, Yeah, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Would you all stand with me for the reading of God's word? Hear now the word of the Lord. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When the centurion, or when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And his servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were impressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you, and it's good to be here to share the word of God with you all. Uh, We are finally back in Matthew, and I couldn't be more excited after about 12 weeks We are back in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're continuing our Gospel of Matthew series. So before we start, uh, pray with me one more time. (laughs) Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your holy word, grant to all of us that our hearts, being free from worldly things, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith that we may rightly understand your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all our hearts. To your praise and honor, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We ended uh, Matthew chapter 7 with these two verses. After Jesus would go to um, give his sermon or Sermon on the Mount and It would end in chapter 7 by saying, And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So what we see here going forward is a picture painted that we will see going forward in the next two chapters or so, Jesus exercising his authoritative power. Jesus' exercise of authoritative power is what we're going to see, and it's especially going to be pronounced in the next two chapters or so. Uh, Or simply put, we're just going to talk about Jesus' authority. And Jesus' authority 
in the passage that we have read is shown and exercised in three different people. And this is incredibly significant. Why? Because if you were listening, they were a certain kind of people that um, the scriptures want us to know that Matthew is writing about. And this is incredibly significant. Why? Because one, they were a leper, two, a Gentile, and third, a woman. Leper, a Gentile, and woman. And one commentator, Michael Green, would write, in his book, Matthew, for today, that it is significant because all the persons excluded from the full participation in Israel's worship is shown here. If you had power and authority, who would you go to? I'm posing a question to you. If you had power and authority, Who would you go to? And I'm going to use today's language a little bit. When you have the ability to perform certain things other people can't, who would you go to? I'm going to bring it down a little bit more. If you have an outstanding resume, where would you send it? Who would you think would need to see and experience your gifts? I'm going to ask you a personal question now. Who have you gone to? Who have you gone to? And I want you to contrast it with what we see here. Who did Jesus go to? There has been no one like Jesus. And there will be no one like him. In his power and perfection, in his beauty and majesty, in his love and mercy. And we see here not only in his teaching, but also in his living. Jesus, there is no one like him. And we see that after the Sermon on the Mount, a great number of people were following him. It says here in verse 1, when he came down from the mountain... Great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And a leper was an outcast of society. Because of their disease, they could not commingle with anyone inside the community. There were laws that stated that if anyone would even come near them, not only could you not, if you were a leper, go to anybody, but there were laws that would state If anyone even started to come near them, they would have to yell, unclean, unclean. Because if anyone were to touch them, they too would be considered unclean. It was this kind of man that came to Jesus. It was this kind of man that knelt before him and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Do you hear any question here? Do you hear an overt request of any kind? He doesn't make a request. He makes a statement. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. There is confidence in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. But what is he not sure of? If Jesus would be willing to expend the energy and time on someone like him. And so we are not to miss the very next words that we see and read here. Jesus stretches out his hand and he touched him. 
he touched someone who had to yell, unclean. Anytime someone would even come close to him, let alone physically touch him. He stretches out his hand and touches him and says, I will be clean. In the Greek, it's just two words. And we translate these into English in two short sentences. But with the first word, Jesus addresses the leper's insecurity about Jesus' willingness. And with the second, Jesus removes the leprosy. Both powerful words that would have forever changed the leper. I want to make a note here real quick that the, uh, the cure was instantaneous. Immediately, this is what is written, immediately he was made clean. What happens after should rouse our curiosity though. He firmly prohibits the man from making the miracle known. He doesn't want people to know that Jesus healed him. Instead, he tells him, Jesus tells the man to go show himself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded them. Jesus tells him to give an offering, which would have no doubt put this man on a journey to Jerusalem, making at least a day. If you were to run, it would take 24 hours. So at least one full day's journey, but probably more. What's interesting here is that Jesus instructs the man, now healed, to follow this Levitical law. We see this in Leviticus chapter 14. And by doing this, what would happen though? When he does this, what would happen? So I find it so intriguing that once he was healed, he'd be like, I'm back, guys. I can do whatever I want. But he go, he says, no, actually go and make an offering. Show yourself to the priest. By doing this, what would happen is the man would have been reinstated into society without any question. What, de- what Jesus did by healing him was not only get rid of a debilitating disease, but put him back into the community. That's amazing. In verse 5, it says, And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. You know, this story is also mirrored in Luke 7, but it's a, it's a little nuanced a little bit differently here for a reason. And we see here a centurion is in, introduced. A centurion was a Roman officer, sent meaning 100, like century. But many scholars believe that a centurion would have held at least a hundred soldiers under him, but many times more. They were considered the backbone of the Roman army. And so he may or may not have been Roman, but he was definitely a Gentile. In Luke, we see that he was sympathetic to the Jewish nation's cause and needs and such like that. And John Calvin, the reformer, would even go on to write about the centurion, saying that before Christ healed the centurion's servant, The centurion himself had been healed by the Lord. But the Matthaean account um, makes no mention of this because there is a message that the three healings are pointing to that we must understand and we are to notice and see. The centurion also, like the leper, makes no request and simply states facts. 
Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. I find that the statements that the leper and the centurion make fascinating, no request. Statement of fact on their current state. And I was thinking, if we were in pain, or if we had a desperate plea, which one of us does this? We kneel and we say, God, I'm in pain. And just wait there for a response. But this is how Jesus responded to the centurion. In verse 7 he says, And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Jesus answers that he would go to his servant. Touching a leper would make someone unclean. But going to a Gentile's house would not only make you unclean, but it would have made you the talk of the town. I can't believe he would do something like that. This is not a good thing, especially if you're a devout Jew. But Jesus is willing to go. I will come and heal him. In verse 8, there is a change. Whenever we see the word but, that means we need to be like, the flow is changed. We need to stand at attention. And this is what happens in verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. But in contrast to Jesus' response that he would go to the centurion's house, the centurion responds again with the most utmost and humble, polite way of addressing Jesus. It says, Lord, and he goes, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And the centurion states that he is unworthy to even have Jesus as a guest in his home. Again, I want to bring it back. If someone incredibly famous or powerful would come to you and say to you, hey, 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 I'm coming over your house. How would you respond? Maybe with a, heck yeah, I can't wait to post this on my Insta. Imagine how many likes you would get. Imagine how many more followers you'd get because I know what a celebrity could do for my reputation. Maybe you wouldn't go that far. Maybe I'm being a little, you know, extra, or I'm exaggerating. But you, this is what you would do. You'd worry about tidying up the house. So at least you could do your guest honor, right? You're like, oh, i got to clean the house. This crazy, amazing person is coming. The centurion responds, however, by saying that he is unworthy to have him even as a guest there is nothing that I could do to make my house worthy to have you as a guest. And you can't help but to wonder, does he know who Jesus is? And this is how he responds to Jesus. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And he goes on further by saying, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I too am a man under authority with, a, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. He, as someone under authority, has authority over others. What does that mean? 
You know, what, what does this short line mean? Whose authority is he under? Leon Morris writes this, all authority in the army at the time was vested in the emperor so that the centurion was subject to imperial authority. But when the centurion gave orders, he was obeyed because he spoke with the authority of the emperor. The centurion understood the concept of authority. I too, he was empathizing with Jesus. If someone under the centurion's command disobeyed the centurion's orders, the punishment or penalty for disobeying the centurion's orders would be the same as if he were disobeying the emperor himself. In the same way, when you follow the centurion's order, it would be as if you were following the emperor himself. And this illustration continues when the centurion says, I say go, and he goes. Come, and he comes. Do this, and he does it. Those that are under his authority are under his command, and all the centurion has to do is say a word. And at these words from a Gentile, Jesus marvels. By the way, marveling is a human attribute. At these words from a Gentile, Jesus marvels. He's astonished. And you know what he does? He turns to the people that were there. <laughs> he like goes from the centurion talking and he turns to the people that were there and he says this. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. All this talk about authority is about faith. Faith is actually only used eight times in the book of Matthew. So when it is used, we are to note that it is very important. Faith isn't interpreted in the light of theological discussion or your doctrines or things like that. It is defined by an absolute reliance on Jesus' authority and power. What we call this is sovereignty or jurisdiction. What did the centurion believe Jesus to have jurisdiction over? What do you think the centurion believed that Jesus had jurisdiction over? The question wasn't, is Jesus sovereign? For this Gentile, he knew that Jesus was sovereign and he knew to go to him. Jesus had the authority. So when you have faith, whose sovereignty and authority are you leaning on? And there's so much more to talk about authority and sovereignty, but we're going to continue to move on to verse 11. I tell you, and this is Jesus continuing when he turns to the crowd, I tell you, Many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus addressing the, addressing the crowd tells the people that people will be reclining with the patriarchs of Israel. And these will be people from the east and west, the corners of the earth, the Gentiles. The sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. And in that place, you'll be so bitter. Who was Jesus addressing? 
Sons of the kingdom were those who thought they just inherited the right to go to heaven. They thought, I deserve to go to heaven. Who will it go to, though? Not those that think they deserve it because they have a heritage or because they deserve it for whatever reason. And it applies to us. These very words apply to us today because we can tend to think, whether we know or not, it could start seeping in. I've been going to church all my life. I deserve this. Look how much I've given to the church. I deserve this. But who is Jesus inviting into the kingdom? Outsiders whom faith has been given to. There is a reversal that is happening here. That's why he pauses from addressing the centurion to address all those that are with him. That those on the outside are being brought in by who? By Jesus. And those that were once on the inside will be thrown out. These are some scary words. And then he turns back to the centurion. And to the centurion, verse 13, he says, Jesus says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. There again is immediacy in the healing. The immediacy that the scripture is portraying should grab you, yes, but also what should grab you is what astonished or made Jesus marvel, the faith. The centurion's faith is linked so that we see see that trust in Christ is of utmost importance. The gift is related to the faith when he goes, as you have believed. We are not saying that the gift was in proportion to the faith. That is not how Jesus works. It's not according to the proportion of your faith. In fact, all these three people were healed. It's not according to the proportion of faith. But we see that faith is the marker of a true believer. The gift was related to the faith. Faith is a marker of the true believer. And a true believer puts their faith or trusts in Jesus. Here's the application. Do you have troubles in the world? Are there things that you are losing sleep over? Is there anxiety in your heart? Is bitterness starting to grow? Do you really have physical need? Do you have spiritual need? Faith in God will dictate that you go to the sovereign one with your troubles in prayer. Faith in God will dictate that you go to the sovereign one, that you will go to Jesus. In verse 14, it says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law laying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. And you know, the Luke, there's, a Luke, there's all these synoptic gospels, which means Matthew, Mark, and Luke follow a lot of the same patterns, have a lot of the same stories. So a lot of times people like to compare the two. Uh, because it's so fascinating, or the three. But in the Lucan account, Peter's mother-in-law would say that it was a great fever. But the scriptures here in Matthew make no account of the severity of the fever, only that it was bad enough to make her bedridden. Jesus, this third time, touches her hand. 
and she is healed. This healing is so complete and so whole that she got up and started serving Jesus. This wasn't something where you're still a little dizzy and you're like, whoa, the fever left me and, uh, you know, I just, I just need a, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and then the people are like, you know what, you should, you should just uh, drink some liquids, eat some food and get your strength up. That's not how it happens. She gets up, boom, and she's like, I could go right back to work. That's how, that's how it happens. She goes right back to business. And when Jesus heals, Peter's mother-in-law can right away get to do what she needs to do. And what was that? Serve Jesus. We must take notice of the order here, though. We do not work for or we do not work before our salvation. We do not work for and we do not work before salvation. We are saved to do works. Martin Luther, the reformer, would also write this. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And you may have heard something like this. We are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. And if you look at all the three healings of the three different people, we see these three healings brought them into something that we are to take note of. Jesus' authority shows us that in the healing of these people, they are brought back into the fold. People who were once outcasts are brought back into the fold. Number two, it shows us the importance of faith and the marker of faith in a believer. And number three, we see that he gives us the ability to work again. Brings the outcast back into the fold, shows us the marker of, true, of a true believer, which is faith, and gives us the ability to work again. In verse 16 it says, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That prophecy was from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. And it shows us what the healing was pointing to. I had mentioned that Jesus Christ puts the world back into its original design. And again, we see that taking place. The place, where is he taking us? A place without illness, without disease, without outcasts, people who are being brought into the fold of the true shepherd. And how does Jesus do it? What mode does he use? Why is the touch so significant? Because when he touches, he takes on our illnesses and he bears our diseases. When he touches someone, he is taking on these things upon himself. And we see that the love of Christ for us is in this. In his perfect life, he took up all our infirmities. And then he took it all the way to the cross. And he chose to die for us. And you might be like, what does this have to do anything with authority? But Jesus himself says this to clear it up in John chapter 10. He says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down 
on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And this is why we place our faith in Jesus. We know that the one that is to come, the one that is ruler of all of creation, all of the known universe, is Jesus Christ. He has the authority. And those who would have faith in Jesus Christ will, like it says in Romans 6, 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. I'm going to bring this all together. Justification, if you heard it. Sanctification, if you heard it. Those things are never separated from each other. Justification is with sanctification. They are together. That means I am saved to do works. That when I am saved, something changes. There is a newness in life. But it is given by someone. Given by someone who has the authority. Jesus has the authority in the kingdom of God. And it is only in Jesus that we can be saved. When we place our faith in him, we see this is exactly what Jesus does to us. He takes up our infirmities, and we see that being nailed to the cross. He chose to die for us, so now we are brought back into the fold, into the presence of God, where illness and disease have no place, where we can have communion with the ultimate savior and our shepherd and if you are listening to this and the holy spirit is at work this is why he is showing you place your faith in jesus christ there is by no other means we can be saved in this world today just as peter said save yourselves from this crooked generation by placing your faith in christ Let's pray. Lord, that we know that by your death and resurrection and our faith in you, that you save us. So, Lord, as we lift up our lives to you, oh God, where else have we to turn? Do we even have the audacity to ask? But yet, our hearts are like the leper and the centurion, and even further, the woman who couldn't even speak. We are in a dead state. And without you, there is no life. Oh God, as we lift up our hearts to you in desperation, we pray that you would have mercy on our souls. Give us new life. Give us new breath as we bring you glory. Let's take this time to pray. And there may be things in your life that perhaps you've held back. Or perhaps you didn't know Jesus was this kind of Savior in Christ, an absolute Savior, a complete Savior. And it is time to place your hope and faith solely in Him. Let's take this time to pray and lift up your hearts to the Lord. Let's pray.